Hello and welcome to edition number 1853 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording on Thursday the 25th of February 2021. I'm Alan Ravel and I edited this edition. So I've prepared this edition at my home and this week we have two readers, Alison Granger and Ernest Parkin, who are participating from their homes. Our recording engineer this week is Graham Diacon, who is in a fourth location. As is usual, we have items taken mainly from the Whitney Gazette and a contribution from the Countryman magazine. Our first story, read by Alison, is a development in the long-running saga about a rail connection for West Oxfordshire. Yes, that's right. I wonder if it will ever happen. My headline is, Hopes Rise for an End to Commuter Misery. Hopes of a rail link between Whitney and Oxford are back on track, with a proposal set to be submitted to the government. The Whitney-Oxford Transport Group will be sending its plans for a Carterton-Whitney-Ensham-Oxford link at the beginning of next month. The proposal to the Department for Transport's Restoring Your Railway Fund will seek funding for a feasibility study. Charlie Maynard, chair of Whitney Oxford Transport Group, said that under the group's proposals, the train journey between Carterton and Oxford would take 22 minutes, compared with the current trip of more than an hour by bus. He added, We at the group go back seven years, but we've been particularly busy in the last few months. There's money available from the DFT, which has pushed this along. What we're focused on is a fast solution between Carterton, Whitney, Ensham and Oxford. We all have a miserable time getting anywhere due to the A40. And with more people coming in, we need to have a sensible, sustainable and fast transport solution. It's not that it has to be a train. We're just searching for a fast solution and we're open to alternative routes and comments. The Ensham station, we think, would be a key area, especially with the incoming Garden Village, too. With Carterton, it suffers, suffers even more than Whitney, as it's even further away from Oxford, and this would, be really, would really help it to bring in more business. All these towns are growing enormously, and we need to get people into Oxford where a lot of the jobs are. What we're trying really hard to do is to cause as little disruption as possible and the key theme is to stick close to the A40 so we don't rip up the countryside. Mr. Maynard said previous assessments on the rail line focused only on rebuilding the disused railway line and didn't consider alternatives. However, he suggests that a new line would be a better fit than going back to the old one. The old route doesn't seem viable. The old Ensham station is now a large Siemens facility and it runs south of Ensham, so therefore wouldn't serve the new homes in the Garden Village, which is planned to the north of Ensham, he said. This survey is really important to us. We want to know if locals think it's a good idea and what their concerns are. We want to get the results, and then the data will speak for itself. The DFT will fund 75% of costs, up to £50,000, of successful proposals, to help fund transport and economic studies and create a business case. 
And now we hear from Ernest, who has a story about anger over the destruction of riverside trees. Yes, apparently the villagers of Buscat are very angry. The headline reads, Village Fury Over Cutting Back of Important Riverside Trees. And the article goes on to say, Villagers have hit out at the National Trust for chopping riverside trees. Much of Buscat near Farringdon is owned by the charity. However, local people have criticized the decision. The trust responded by saying that the work to prevent branches falling into the River Thames would ordinarily be phased. However, COVID-19 measures had altered operations. Buscat villager Ellen Hopkins said, the Environment Agency has threatened the National Trust with legal action if it does not remove trees that could fall into the river. In their zeal to avoid prosecution, the National Trust is determined to bring down trees that are not totally diseased and could live for many years to come. They pose no threats to boats or fishermen or other river enthusiasts. These important riverside trees are significant to the river landscape and wildlife. The roots of the trees are a vital protection of the riverbanks from erosion during floods. The Environment Agency gave instructions to the National Trust to clear off overhanging branches which interfered with the waterway. However, instead of removing the overhanging branches, entire trees are being cut down. Unless the trees are protected, important birds, like woodpeckers, will have their habitats destroyed. Richard Watson, countryside manager for the Buscut and Coles Hill estate, said, What is happening is a traditional practice. He said, At the National Trust, we care hugely about the trees we look after. In line with recommended tree management practice, we have pollarded the willows along a stretch of the Thames near Buscat. This traditional practice involves cutting back riverbank willows to the height of two to three meters and is carried out on a regular cycle of approximately 10 years. While it can look severe, pollarding encourages regrowth and prolongs the life of the trees. It doesn't affect the tree's root system and it preserves veteran features in the trunk for insects to inhabit and hollows in which birds such as woodpeckers can nest. Ordinarily, the works would be phased and so less noticeable. But this year, COVID restrictions have meant that contractors have had to complete the work all at once. An environment agency spokesman said, fast-growing trees like the willows at Buscat can cause a problem if branches and leaves fall into the water. Unstable or overhanging trees can also damage the riverbank. Individual trees are only removed as a last resort if pruning doesn't reduce an obvious risk. This work by the National Trust is part of our ongoing maintenance program to ensure the river is kept free from obstructions. These can create a flood risk for local residents or a safety hazard for boats and other river users. I have one, an article about um, one of our local celebrities, Jeremy Clarkson, and my headline is, Clarkson applies for alcohol license for his TV farm shop. TV presenter Jeremy Clarkson has applied for a license to sell alcohol at his Oxfordshire farm shop. Mr. Clarkson has been running the shop, which is situated on 1,000 acres of farmland, since last year. The story of the venture is set to feature in a forthcoming Amazon Prime show called I Bought the Farm. 
the former Top Gear and now Grand Tour and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire star applied to West Stocksfordshire District Council for permission to sell alcohol for consumption on and off the premises in Chadlington near Chipping Norton. The farm shop is currently closed, but Mr Clarkson and partner Lisa Hogan are hoping to reopen in March. According to the shop's website, it is a small barn full of good, no-nonsense things you'll like. We do not, for example, sell kale. All the stuff we do sell is produced either on Diddley Squat Farm or by our neighbours in the Cotswolds, apart from hats, obviously, and the aprons and the T-shirts. The shop opened a year ago, a year ago on Tuesday, and the presenter said his small farm shop aimed to put Aldi out of business, hailing the times as the end of supermarket shopping. At the time of opening the squat shop, named after his farm, Diddley Squat, the TV host sold potatoes, raffled off water in yellow bottles, and gave away cider that had been donated by Blur's Alex James, who made a special appearance with a sack of potatoes. He previously told PA News Agency, It's going really well. We've had a good turnout, and we've had more customers than Aldi. We're putting the German giants out of business. This is the end of supermarket shopping. Farming is hard work, but it is rewarding when you sell potatoes and other produce as it comes on song. I'm only selling what is seasonal. His shop is currently closed during the third national lockdown. The headline reads, TV Explorer launches survival camps. A TV Explorer is set to launch new camping experiences in Oxfordshire to cut the amount of time children spend on screens. Survival expert Ed Stafford, the first person to walk the length of the Amazon River, has teamed up with outdoor adventure group Camp Wilderness to map out how the camps will work. In attempts to get families enjoying the outdoors again, the four adventure camps will launch in July with two of these locations within the county. Both Blenheim Woods and Cornbury Park have been chosen in addition to camps in Hertfordshire and Kent. Mr. Stafford said, I'm delighted to be partnering with Camp Wilderness this year to bring new experiences to so many families. With no roads, buildings, or technology, the camps will bring out the very best in those who want to reconnect with nature and each other, especially after being indoors for so long. We're in a world where we're glued to our phones and screens. The easy parenting option is to put your children in front of the television. But this is about getting out and having an adventure. There are some families that just going in the woods and camping is quite extreme. But there'll be other families which are much more confident. COVID seems to have been a catalyst for doing this. I think people have had an epiphany that they want to do more of the things they love. And this is exactly that. It's about having these lovely experiences with your family. And everyone wants to get out of the house. Mental health has been a big issue that's come to the fore with all the lockdowns we've had, and this is the perfect antidote. Activities will include food foraging, animal tracking, and fire lighting. While sleeping accommodation, it comes in the form of a teepee tent with food provided. 
Max Folks, Managing Director of Camp Wilderness, said, We've designed these weekends so they're a perfect combination of rest and relaxation with a hint of challenge. These fun and challenging activities will test both the mind and body at the same time. We know that families have faced incredible pressures during the last 12 months, and this is a way to help them reconnect with each other again after screen time may have forced them to become detached from each other, even whilst under the same roof. Since we partnered with Ed, that's Ed Stafford, last year, this was absolutely something we wanted to do. There are two weekends for families to choose between, depending on a two- or three-day experience. The three-day weekends include more challenging bushcraft and survival experiences. Prices for the weekends start from £380 per family. Yes, I have the first part of an article about the flooding that happened in Whitney around Christmas time. Lessons must be learned from another episode of flooding. And there is a, a picture at the top of the article of Haley Road in Whitney with cars swooshing through quite deep water, which I, in fact, had to do myself one of those days. Lessons need to be learnt after flooding <coughs> affected residents in West Oxfordshire over Christmas, according to a councillor. West Oxfordshire District Council's Environment and Overview Scrutiny Committee met last week to discuss the impact of the floods and what could be done to tackle the problem in the future. The district was hit by floods following heavy rain in the lead-up to Christmas, and councillors were meeting to discuss the problems caused by it. Andrew Coles, district councillor for the Whitney Central Ward, said at the meeting that although local authorities and services reacted well to the floods, more needed to be done. He said, I think the Ubico team, when they turned up on the night, were marvellous. They worked incredibly hard, and full credit, credit to them and the fire service, who were absolutely fantastic. We desperately need to learn lessons from Christmas and the positioning of sandbags. <clears throat> When we had that heavy rain on December the 23rd, we know from experience that water is going to come down and head into Whitney between 24 and 36 hours later. I would have hoped we would have used that time to get better prepared. There are an awful lot of lessons to be learnt and there is still much work to do. Council Officer Andy Barge, Group Manager for Strategic Support, told councillors that WADC only received a warning an hour before flooding started. He said the flood warning from the Environment Agency came very late. I believe it was around 7.30 in the evening, <clears throat> and the main event started to take place at 8.30. As District Council, we receive our notifications from the Environment Agency or the Thames Valley Local Resilience Forum. None of the principal agencies made contact to warn of the event. We saw some flooding in areas where we've not seen it before, so we're checking where our sand bunker locations are. During the meeting, District Councillor for the Chalbury and Finstock Ward, Liz Lefman, warned of the impact future housing developments could have. She said it's not just about the housing developments, but it's also about how the water gets displaced. This is something we should be very cautious about. 
Now we have a second story on flooding. The headline reads, Sewage Flooding is Unacceptable. And there's a, it's accompanied by a picture of a smiling uh, Robert Kortz, our MP, although what he has to smile about is a mystery to me. An MP has criticized Thames Water after sewage flooded a path to Tackley Primary School. Robert Kortz, MP for Whitney, joined Oxford County Council leader Ian Hudspeth and Tackley Parish Council Chair June Collier to see flooding in the village. Mrs. Collier showed the pair diluted sewage water overflowing on the route to Tackley Primary School. Mr. Kortz said the situation in Tackley is totally unacceptable, with residents having to endure persistent issues of sewage flooding across the village. Thames Water must step up and make long overdue improvements to the local network to ensure it's better able to cope during times of heavy rain. Council Leader Mr. Hudspeth added, it's simply not good enough for raw sewage to be discharged onto the pavements and footpaths that children walk to school on. A spokesman for Thames Water said, ground level, sorry, groundwater levels in the Tackley area are currently exceptionally high. This groundwater gets into pipes through cracks or where one section is badly joined to another and could flood the system. When this happens, wastewater diluted by the groundwater backs up through manholes and spills out. Our priority in this situation is to stop any of this diluted waste getting inside properties. Right. I now have two brief news items. Um, the first one is about a new bus service which will link the town centre of Carterton to the outskirts. West Oxfordshire Community Transport, WOCT, has announced the Carterton Connector will begin on March the 2nd, linking the north and south edges of town with the centre via two new routes. The 345 North Circular and the 355 South Circular. The Carterton Connector becomes the third route offered by WOCT, a not-for-profit cooperative formed in 2017. It follows Whitney Town Services and the 210 service, which links Whitney to the Witchwoods. The new routes, supported by Carterton Town Council, begin at Asda and run hourly on Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday mornings. The 345 departs on the hour from 9am to 1pm, while the 355 is at 35 minutes past the hour, from 9.35am to 12.35pm. WOCT Director Margaret Burden said, We believe that a community where people are interconnected is a strong and healthy one. And secondly, the future of open spaces. Residents have the opportunity to tell their town council their views on how open spaces are operated in Whitney. The council has launched a survey to learn more about how to manage the sites. It said, Never has the importance of outdoor spaces been more evident than during the current pandemic. Whitney Town Council recognizes the huge value and benefits to its residents of the green spaces it manages on behalf of the town and is looking to future-proof these by formulating a comprehensive open spaces strategy for all our, op our current spaces 
and any future acquisitions. The survey is on the Council's website, its app, and on its Facebook and Twitter pages. Former Council boss faces fraud and theft charges. A former Council boss has denied fraud and theft offenses against two of the local authorities for which he worked. Thomas Clark, 34, of Victoria Road, Stroud, is alleged to have abused his position when he was the head of revenue and benefits at West Oxfordshire District Council. Clark appeared for a hearing at Sirencester Magistrates Court earlier this month, following an appearance at Gloucester Crown Court in December. At the latter appearance, Clark pleaded not guilty to four charges alleging that he defrauded or stole from West Oxfordshire District Council and also from the neighboring Cotswold District Council. The charges he denied were fraud by abuse of position on 12 February 2018 by making a gain for another person by canceling the costs on a debt owed to WODC, canceling the costs by a member of the pu- owed to a member of the public on a debt owed to the council tax account at WODC on July 5, 2018, and finally, making adjustments to a council tax account linked to a member of the public in the Cotswold District Council area on April 23, 2019, and stealing £120 from a Cotswold District, Coun- from Cotswold District Council on April 5, 2019. Prosecutor Harry Ahuja said the amount of public money involved in the charges was about £300. Of that amount, he added, £117 had been repaid. Clark is being prosecuted by Cotswold District Council under the 2006 Fraud Act for fraud by abuse of position and theft. Both WODC and Cotswold District Council have a shared revenue and benefits services department, along with the Forest of Dean District Council, too meaning that Clark was responsible for finances at all three local authorities. During his December court appearance, he was released on unconditional bail until he was due to appear again at the Gloucester Crown Court for a four-day jury trial beginning on May 24. Before then, he is due to appear for a case management hearing on April 21 at the same court. And my next headline is... Pub delivers special Valentine's meal to couple. An Oxfordshire couple won a special Valentine's Day meal from chefs at a West Oxfordshire pub. Paul and Samantha Butler-McLeese from Chipping Norton were rewarded by the Blue Boar in Whitney after winning a competition to find those who deserved a treat. Customers of Oakman Inn's were asked to nominate couples as a thank you for what they've done for the community during the coronavirus pandemic. The Chipping Norton couple met 12 years ago on a first aid training course that Mr. Butler McLeese was facilitating. He works in patient safety at an NHS trust and during the pandemic has been working as a community nurse in Whitney and Chipping Norton. He also volunteers as a community first responder for the South Central Ambulance Service. Mrs. Butler-McLeese is a teacher at Mabel Pritchard School in Blackbird Lees, a special school for children aged between 2 and 19. She teaches early years foundation stage 
and year one. The couple had a four-course make-away delivered to them by Oakman Inn's Deputy General Manager at the Blue Boar, Michael Cowley. There was also room for a bottle of fizz, a bunch of flowers for the table, and a £100 voucher to spend on a meal at an Oakman Inn's pub when they're allowed to reopen. Earlier this year, with pubs closed, the chain introduced a mailbox delivery service, Oakman at Home, they call it, with instructions on how to finish the meals. Mr. and Mrs. Butler McLeese were nominated by their friend, Catherine Ball, and I have a nice photo of their happy couple giving each other a Valentine's kiss with their, box, uh, their boxed meal just in front of them. Now I have two short articles. The first one, good news for children, pupils in Oxfordshire have received more than 2,500 laptops and tablets to help with remote learning. The 2,633 devices are part of the wider 1.3 million delivered to schools and local authorities in England. The government has also partnered with leading mobile network operators to provide free data to disadvantaged families, while more than 54,000 4G routers have been given to schools and colleges across the country. Henley MP John Howell said, no child should miss out as a result of the disruption caused by this pandemic. And the second article, Blenheim Top on Screen. And the article says briefly, Blenheim Palace has made more film and TV appearances than any other English country house, according to new research. Furniture store House of Oak totted up the figures and found that Blenheim topped the charts with 71 appearances on screen. They include blockbuster movies such as Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and the James Bond film Spectre. Blenheim had one appearance more than Hatfield House in Hertfordshire, which had its hedge maze feature in the Avengers film. And my next one is Michelin Guide Chef brings joy with his fine dining deliveries. While lockdown has been tough for us all, it has been particularly hard for Nathan Eads. Nathan is head chef at one of Oxfordshire's very best restaurants, the Wild Rabbit in Kingham, and lives and breathes cooking. So when his elegant restaurant on the flanks of the Cotswolds near Chipping Norton had to close, he vowed to find a way of keeping himself and his customers happy. While others perfected recipes for banana bread, made TikTok videos, or worked their way through Netflix, Nathan pulled out all the stops to get back into the kitchen. First, he launched a pizza takeaway from a converted horse box fitted with a wood-fired oven. Then when the second lockdown hit in November, he went back to fine dining, developing three-course menus for diners to finish and enjoy at home. So popular have Nathan's Wild Rabbit at Home boxes become, he's extended delivery from a 10-mile radius to nationwide. When we first had to close, we were desperately looking forward to getting back into the kitchen and start cooking again, said Nathan, previously head chef at the Michelin-starred Simpsons restaurant in Birmingham. The Wild Rabbit features in this year's Michelin Guide, 
picking up a Michelin plate, while owner Lady Bamford's other local venue, nearby Dalesford Organic, got a green star for commitment to sustainable gastronomy. Dalesford supplies much of the wild rabbit's produce. From the moment I arrived to meet Carol Bamford and saw the market garden at Dalesford, there was no turning back, he said. I knew I was being offered a chef's dream because of the amazing produce we can work with. It's hard to put into words what the wild rabbit means to me. The whole place has an amazing feel to it, from the log fires crackling to the attention to detail in the furniture and the rooms. It has a very welcoming atmosphere. He thinks West Oxfordshire is the perfect location. While Nathan is too discreet to name drop, local villagers include Blur's Alex James, former Prime Minister David Cameron, and TV star Jeremy Clarkson. He said, we have customers who travel from afar to visit us in the Cotswolds when travel is permitted. Saying this, our customers are a real mix and we're fortunate to have plenty of local regulars who frequently pop in for a drink or meal. Of the lockdowns, he said, it's been an uncertain time for hospitality and our approach has been to adapt to the restrictions each time they've changed whilst following the government's guidelines. The menus cost £35 per person and change regularly. Nathan said, my team and I prepare every dish so they can be easily finished at home. Each meal comes packed in eco-friendly, recyclable and reusable packaging with a menu, allergen information and a simple step-by-step guide on how to cook your meal. It's easy. The headline for the next article is Fears Over Future of Missing H&M Store. And the article goes on to say, a high street fashion chain could be set to permanently close the doors to one of its Oxfordshire stores. H&M confirmed consultations were taking place over the potential closure of the store in the Woolgate Centre, Whitney. A spokesman said, we're working to support our colleagues at this time. Although a final decision on the future of the store is yet to be made, the spokesman said they would update the Whitney Gazette when that decision had been finalized. An online H&M store locator fails to men- mention the Whitney shop with alphabetical results skipping from Windsor to Woking with no Whitney in between. Hmm. Swedish retail clothing company H&M sells clothing for women, men, and children in addition to having its own home section. The store opened in the Woolgate in 2011 and was hailed as a major boost for the town, with the nearest H&M shops when it opened being in Banbury, High Wycombe. So now it's time for the editor's choice of articles. I sit on the parish council in Coombe, and I'm its representative on a grandly named committee, county committee, which is called the Parish Transport Representative Committee. It only meets a few times a year and and it discusses public transport or the lack of it in Oxfordshire. Earlier we heard uh, encouraging news about a new railway line in West Oxfordshire and my attention was also drawn to an article in this month's Countryman magazine which suggests a brighter future for public transport uh, in rural areas. 
It was written by Crispin Truman, who's head of the CPRE, which once upon a time stood for the Council for the Protection of Rural England, but now the organisation prefers just the initials and to be called the Countryside Charity. So that clears that up. Still the CPRE, though, and here's what he wrote. This time last year, I was at a parliamentary event where the Transport Secretary, Grant Shapps, called for a golden age of buses. Now, I'm a bus enthusiast anyway, but was particularly heartened as CPRE was about to launch new research into the phenomenon of transport deserts. These are places with no regular bus or train services. In rural areas, it can mean people are dependent on cars to reach vital services, a situation that hits the young and elderly the hardest. Our research found that 56% of small towns in the southwestern northeast of England are already transport deserts or at risk of becoming one. Within days of our report hitting the headlines, the government announced new funding to improve bus services to, in the words of the Prime Minister, make sure every community has the foundations it needs to thrive. Mr. Schatz even appeared on television expressing a desire to go beyond just bringing back lost routes, but also ensuring that the regularity is such that you can, that you can see in London that will be replicated in the country. Now that's music to the ears of anyone like me who has spent hours of their life waiting at village bus stops. Alas, with the details due to be confirmed in a long-awaited national bus strategy, coronavirus intervened, a crisis that has highlighted both rural key workers' reliance on buses and the bleakness of rural isolation. It's therefore vital that the government ensures that rural areas receive the investment needed to recover and thrive post-pandemic, reversing decades of disproportionate cuts. This month, we'll see us publish our latest research on how we can achieve a comprehensive bus network for rural communities that would boost local economies, reduce isolation, and provide access to jobs, training, services, and beautiful countryside for all. Countries like Switzerland and Germany have been able to achieve this, so we know it's possible. We just need the political will to make it a reality here. Our petition, that's the CPRE's petition, calling for reliable bus services for every community, gained 20,000 signatures in less than two weeks. And he asks all of us to take a minute to add our names and look out for the new research at the CPRE's website. Well, that was an interesting piece. Next up is our weekly quiz, and Alison is going to read you the questions and answers. Right, yes, here we go. First, yes, the questions that were set for you last week. Number one, who painted The Birth of Venus? And the answer is Sandro Botticelli. Second, what nationality was the writer Hans Christian Andersen? And he was Danish. Three, which infamous San Francisco prison was closed in 1963? The answer is Alcatraz. And fourth, on a yacht, are the sheets, ropes, 
or sails? And the answer is ropes, although it doesn't sound like it, does it? And fifth and last, monarch and birdwing are both species of which insect? And they are both butterflies. And now this week's questions. The five questions again. First, how many teeth does an adult human have? Number two, what is the world's largest bird of prey? And three, who is fifth in line to the British throne? And four, what is the biggest state in America? And finally, who wrote Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Finished. Thanks, Alison. And now to our notice board. Firstly, there are three listeners, all from Whitney, well, the Whitney area in Shilton, actually, with birthdays to celebrate this week. They are, on the 28th of February, Mr. John Hunt from Shilton, who turns 91. And on March the 1st, we have two birthdays, Tony Barringer of Whitney, who will be 78, and Angela Holder, also of Whitney, who will be 63, and which I might say is a fine age. It happens to be mine as well. Many happy returns of the day to each of you. Now, there were a number of deaths announced in the Whitney Gazette this week. Frieda Marshall, formerly of West Oxfordshire, died on the 11th of February on the Isle of Wight. Paul Eric Osgoodby died on the 15th of February, aged 74. Brenda Cook died on the 16th of February, aged 82. Brenda was the former head teacher of St Mary's Infant School in Whitney. Also, the death of Peter Johnson is recorded, but the Gazette has no further information about when this occurred. Our condolences to family and to friends. There was also another significant um, death recently in the Whitney area, and uh, Ernest is going to tell you about that. Yes, well, it's not good news. Uh, most of our listeners will be aware that uh, of the RN Peace Shop at 103 Whitney High Street. Well, the founder of that famous shop, Dick Peace, has died, and his family announced the news on Facebook this week. And he passed away at home on the 17th of February. Now, the family told us that Dick was born in Muirfield in Yorkshire on the 4th of April, 1925, and moved to Whitney in the early 1930s when his father took up a position as manager of the James Walker Blanket Mill in the Cross. He attended the Whitney Grammar School, and after leaving school, he started work at the Midland Bank. He served in the Royal Fleet Air Arm during the war, and on returning to Whitney, he set up a mail-order company selling blankets to schools and hospitals. In 1952, Dick married Beryl Bryan, and they set up a home at 103 High Street. And now, that property happened to have a shop attached, and to celebrate the coronation of Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth II, they decorated the shop windows with red, white, and blue blankets. 
Well, people wanted to buy those blankets, and so the shop RN Peace and Company was launched. The business went from strength to strength over the years, and today it's run by Dick's son, Robert. Dick was well-known in the town and was a member of the Masonic Lodge and an avid golfer, and he played well into his 80s. Uh, that's not a handicap, that's his age. He also had been a member of the Round Table and the 41 Club. Beryl predeceased Dick, and she died on the 25th of May, 2020, after a short illness. Beryl was an active member of the Whitney community and did a lot of charity work, as well as being part of the Girl Guide movement in the 1970s, and most recently, she enjoyed being a member of the WI. Uh, Dick and Beryl had three children, Robert, Jane, and Susan, seven grandchildren, and three great-grandchildren. The family have announced that a joint memorial service will be held when circumstances allow it. Thank you, Ernest. Uh, we now just have um, a handful more news items, which will be read by um, our two readers tonight. Uh, and then uh, that just about will conclude our broadcasting. Right, I have two more short news items. And the first one is headlined, Police Alert Over Bans on Homes of Top Dogs. Concerned pedigree dog owners in West Oxfordshire alerted police after their homes were marked with elastic bands. Residents of the Witchwoods area near Whitney were urged to remain vigilant and change their routine to avoid dog thieves. Police confirmed that properties in the area had been marked with different coloured bands, either around gateposts or wheelie bins. It's believed these homes were targeted because pedigree dogs live there. And secondly, raiders take appliances. Thieves broke into a new house on an estate still under construction and took away kitchen appliances. The raid happened between 4.30 p.m. on February the 11th and 9 a.m. on February the 12th at a property on the Parkview Blenheim Estate Homes construction site in Woodstock. A number of Neff-branded kitchen appliances were taken. The next article has the headline, Pensioner Boycotting Shop over 50p coupon. That may seem unlikely to you. It did to me. A pensioner has boycotted his local supermarket after it refused to give him 50p off his shredded wheat purchase. John Osman, 91, visited the co-op in Whitney's High Street, looking to use a voucher he had previously been given in the store. But Mr. Osman, a co-op shopper for more than 70 years, didn't show the voucher until he had purchased his items. Staff rejected Mr. Osman's attempts to use the coupon. Mr. Osman said, I was saddened when a man whom I presume is a member of the managerial staff was unable to deal effectively with a problem unwittingly caused by me when I failed to produce from my pocket a coupon for 50p off any Nestle shredded wheat product before I paid my 26 pound 64p bill. The coupon had been awarded to me on my previous visit a few days beforehand to the store, and I simply forgot to show it until I had actually paid the bill. I immediately returned, and a helpful woman behind the hill said she would have to call for assistance. I understood that because that because there might well have been computer system problems. 
Very quickly, the management representative arrived and said that nothing could be done. Mystified by this, I asked, why not? He was polite but adamant, giving me no explanation as to why my oversight in not producing the coupon before my payment was so insuperable. This irritated me somewhat, and I impolitely commented that I, I suppose it was the computer, and added that if he couldn't do anything about it, his store was losing a co-op customer of 70 years or more. With that, I left. Mr. Osman admitted he did not want to draw out his boycott. He said, so I'll make an offer to end my one-man boycott of the high street store. If a managerial representative there offers me 50p, we shall all have struck a blow against the all-too-common practice of relying too heavily on computers for everything. A co-op spokesman said, we sincerely apologize for any inconvenience caused to our customer, and we'd be pleased to welcome them back into the store at their convenience to collect the 50p. Councillor is suspended over shared anti-Semitic cartoons. A councillor who shared an anti-Semitic cartoon on social media has been suspended from the Labour Party. Mike Carhill, a West Oxfordshire District councillor for the Chipping Norton Ward, is now sitting as an independent. Mr. Carhill shared a post on Facebook, which he has since deleted, which contained an anti-Semitic cartoon. Councillors were emailed to inform them Mr. Carhill no longer wishes to be treated as a member of the Labour Party and he will sit as independent. Speaking to the Gazette, Mr. Carhill said, I'm under administrative suspension from the Labour Party, meaning they're investigating a dispute against me. I posted, using my phone, an extensive quote from Albert Einstein, complaining about what was happening to the Palestinians in 1948. Where it went wrong was that when I posted the link to this article, apparently there was also a cartoon, which, rightly so, was regarded as offensive. I was told about it by my brother-in-law, so I immediately posted an apology and explained I didn't intend to do this. I then took the post down. In the meantime, I became aware that someone had made an allegation for anti-Semitism. The mistake was mine, nobody else's. It's pretty obvious that anyone who knows me knows it was out of character. In a post since deleted on Facebook, Mr. Carhill apologized for sharing the cartoon. The post read, On visiting the page later, I discovered the cartoon offensive in its presentation of racial stereotypes. That is why the post as a whole has been removed, and I apologize again to those whom I've offended. Meanwhile, a spokesman for the Labour Party said any complaints will be fully investigated and appropriate action taken. The spokesman said, The Labour Party takes all complaints of anti-Semitism extremely seriously and they are fully investigated in line with our rules and procedures and any appropriate disciplinary action is taken. Mr Carhill was elected to the West Oxfordshire District Council in May 2019 and is a member of four of its committees. And the next story from Carterton is, Art is Escape for Man Disabled by Car Crash. And the article goes on to say, A man who was left with life-changing disabilities after buying, being hit by a car is now selling his artwork as a means of therapy. In 2012, Darren Hall, 48, was cycling in the town of 
Bad Vollingbostel in Germany when he was hit by a car. The accident changed Mr. Hall's life, and in 2015 he was declared physically disabled. He now lives in Carterton with his wife, Andrea, 49, who serves in the armed forces. He said, from eyewitness accounts, I hit the car with my knees and right leg taking the brunt of the impact and landed approximately 30 meters away, avoiding a lamppost by inches as I flew through the air. It still has a profound effect on my whole life. I'm scarred and have severe pain in my knees and right leg. Following the accident, I had six operations on my right knee, and my leg was surgically broken in the two years following the accident. I've had many other injuries, including being born with spinal bifida. My pelvis and spine have struggled to cope with my lack of mobility. I was declared physically disabled in 2015, and it broke me mentally. I have severe short-term memory loss. I walk with a stick all the time. I have wheelchair and mobility scooter for outings. However, despite the severe impact the crash had on his life, Mr. Hall has found art to be his escape and recently began selling it. He said, it takes me away from the horrors that fill my head and hurt my body. Art has been my savior throughout my whole life. I've had art in my life since I was a very young child. Art was my relaxation tool for getting away from the world and my thoughts, but it was just a hobby. It's been a lucky distraction from chronic nightmares and uncomfortable sleep at night. I can wake early or late at night and suddenly be struck by a moment, and I have to head for my studio. Whenever I need it, it's there, and I'm so lucky and very grateful. I started selling my art in 2019 full-time for my website and social media. I'm also hoping to open my studio in baby steps with the help of my sister Jody. Well, that just about concludes our program for this week. Um, and I would like to thank, first of all, the Whitney Gazette for the articles we've used this week and that piece from the Countryman magazine. My special thanks go to our recording engineer, Graham Diacon. Thank you also to our two readers this week, Alison Granger and Ernest Parkin. Keep listening at the end of the program for an info sound item which gives some highlights of the coming week's best radio listening. But for now, though, I know everyone at Whitney Talking News would like to wish you well. So until our next edition, we'll say goodbye. Goodbye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. So time for a look at this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, February 27th, and drama at 3pm on Radio 4, the second and final part of The Beautiful and the Damned, an adaptation of F. Scott Fitzgerald's 1922 novel which charts the jazz age via a glamorous but doomed marriage. We don't often talk about sport, so rugby fans, be sure to tune in to live coverage of the Six Nations, on Radio 5 Live. Kick-off between Wales and England is at 4.45pm. Commentary on England-Ireland can be heard on Radio 5 Live Sports Extra from 2pm. 
then an evening of opera on Radio 3 with the New York Metropolitan Opera's 2018 production of Sendulon, Massenet's take on the Cinderella story. Massenet wrote his Wagner-influenced opera at the height of his fame, and it was an immediate success. It starts at 6.30 on Radio 3. Alternatively, you could tune to Radio 4 Extra at 7pm for Elizabeth Jane Howard Remembered, a three-hour-long celebration of the author of the Castle Chronicles, who died in 2014, aged 90. Back to Radio 4 at 8pm for Meeting Myself Coming Back. This week, Ian Hislop joins John Wilson to review key moments from his life and career, with audio of his young self on stage in a school production of Oliver, through to his role on Have I Got News For You?, and his thoughts on press freedom and regulation. And that's followed at 9pm on Radio 4 by the first in a two-part drama entitled The Reserve Rope, starring Damien Lewis as Victorian explorer Edward Wimper. On the 14th of July 1865, he conquered the Matterhorn, but four men died on the descent. Wimper was exonerated, but was left forever tormented by the tragedy. What went wrong, and why? On to Sunday, February 28th, the end of another month. Lauren Laverne's guest on Desert Island Discs this week at 11am on Radio 4 is Claire Horton, the new Director General of the Commonwealth War Graves Commission and previously the Chief Exec of Battersea Dogs and Cats Home. It's repeated on Friday at 9am if you miss it. Drama at 3pm on Radio 4 with the third and final part of the dramatisation of Thomas Hardy's novel Tessa the D'Urbervilles. After her disastrous wedding night, Tess gets a job working on the land of a mean-spirited farmer. More sport? Alternatively, if you're a rugby fan, you can catch up with Six Nations Live with France versus Scotland on Radio 5 Live Extra from 2.45. To Classic FM at 9pm for a brand new series, Julian Lloyd Webber's Rising Stars. The former cellist and conductor showcases 30 of the finest musicians under the age of 30, starting this week with pianist Benjamin Grosvenor, guitarist Young Hung Kwang, and violinist Esther Abrami. And at 11.30pm on Radio 3, you can finish the weekend by enjoying Slow Radio Sunday in the Park with. During lockdown, parks have served an important escape for people living in towns and cities, and this soundscape captures park life on a winter's day. The birds, the dogs, the wind in the trees and grass, and something approaching silence. But in the distance, there are bells tolling and the wailing of ambulance sirens. Time for a look at those programmes now, which are broadcast each day throughout the week at the same time on the same radio station. So same time, same radio station, same time each day monday to friday book of the week at 9:45 on radio 4 each day is slow rise a bread making adventure adrian scarborough reads from journalist robert penn's account of his search for the perfect bread a quest that takes him to several countries around the world including egypt turkey and the states it's repeated at half past midnight all week as well the 15-minute drama at 10.45 on Radio 4 is Godron, the seventh and final series of Lucy Catherine's Viking series, in which Godron has now given birth at sea and believes her young son is destined for great things. Together they embark on a pilgrimage to Rome, repeated at 7.45 again each night. 
Composer of the week at 12 noon on Radio 3 is Richard Strauss. Donald McLeod explores the composer's early years who, by the time he was 18, had written just a mere 150 works. Then back to Radio 4 at just after midday, each day for the continued reading of Small Pleasures. Claire Chambers' story of unexpected second chances and a virgin birth in 1950s suburbia. Gretchen stays home to look after a sick Margaret, while Jean and Howard drive off together to visit his aunt. Repeated again every night at 10.45pm. A new series at 1.45 each day on Radio 4 is Metamorphosis, How Insects Transformed Our World. Dr Erica McAllister is the Natural History Museum, explores how research into the world's most populous animals, insects, has led to some truly innovative developments across many branches of science. She starts by examining what the jump of the flea was meant for micro-robots. Over to Radio 3, in concert, Celebrity Choice at 7.30 each evening. Much-loved figures from the worlds of dance, drama and the media share some of their classical musical favourites. First off is Darcy Bustle, who reveals some of the stories behind her choices, including the turning point in her teenage years when she was selected to dance to the slow movement of Mahler's Fifth Symphony. And finally on Radio 3 each night, 10.45, The Essay, Rain Song in Five Senses. Nadini Das introduces five essays on the power and sound of rain, starting with her very own native India and the deafening, thundering rains of the monsoon season. Monday, March the 1st, a new month, and more radio highlights to look forward to as well. What's no doubt of importance to all of us at the moment continues the global race to deliver a COVID-19 vaccine. Tune in to How to Vaccinate the World, Radio 4, 11.30, Monday, March 1st. The drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is Top of the World. Relationship therapist Gloria takes Sean and Jamie on a mountain walk to try and save their 10-year marriage in which political arguments and Covid lockdown have taken their toll. A new series at 4pm on Radio 4 is Shockwaves. Artists chronicle how they've responded to the Covid-19 pandemic. This week the programme features author Naomi Alderman, who was two years into writing her next book, the fictional story of a flu-like virus spreading across the globe, when coronavirus hit and she felt she had to stop. Just a Minute continues, sadly no longer of course with Nicholas Parsons in the chair. Here Sue Perkins take a turn at hosting the ever-popular comedy show 6.30 on Radio 4. And finally, for Monday, March 1st, can't believe it is another month, The Wedding Detectives at 8pm on Radio 4. This week, a look at the 1959 high society wedding of Tim and Sonia Bryant. Tuesday, March 2nd, 11am, Radio 4, Club 18 to 30. Yeah, interesting. A look at the shared experiences of people aged 29 to 33 who have had their adult lives hit by the double whammy of the financial crash of 2008 and the huge economic downturn caused by the COVID pandemic. It's repeated following Monday, March 8th at 9pm, if you miss it. 11.30am, back on Tuesday, March 2nd on Radio 4, The Price of Song. Covid lockdowns have led to a huge boom in music streaming, but a huge loss in musicians' earnings from live music. John Wilson explores who is profiting from this as he talks to, among others, a certain Sir Paul McCartney. 
the drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is The Ventriloquist Dummy. Amanda Dalton's drama documentary explores the history of ventriloquism, the relationship between mind and body, and the wisdom of the gut. Law and Action returns for another series at 4pm on Radio 4. This week, a look at the government rules to suppress the spread of COVID-19 and the impact of the legal system. Again, it's repeated on Thursday at 8pm if you miss this one on Tuesday. At 6.30pm on Radio 4, the return of the sitcom Reluctant Persuaders, set in an advertising agency. Rupert Hardacre, head of the agency, hasn't been seen for over two months, but in his absence, everything seems to be running smoothly. Nigel Havers and Josie Lawrence are the stars. And finally, for Tuesday, March 2nd, why not tune to Radio 2 at 9pm for The Jazz Show with Jamie Cullum, featuring classic recordings and special guests. Midweek, Wednesday, March 3rd, in Will Self, Takes the Waters at 9.30am on Radio 4, the author is transported to Scandinavia, where he samples Swedish mineral water, Ramlosa, and explores the magical qualities ascribed to water, and discusses a brand of glacial meltwater that comes with an £85 price tag. In Science Stories at 11am on Radio 4, Philip Ball tells of a solar eclipse a hundred years ago that transformed our notions to the cosmos and turned Albert Einstein into an international celebrity. A choice of dramas this afternoon at 2.15 on Radio 4 is Holding Back the Tide, Nick Warburton's comedy broadcast in three parts. Wednesday, March 3rd, Thursday and Friday this week. About a couple who inherit a house in Yorkshire with a sitting tenant. John's bravado takes a battering when his past returns to haunt him in episode one. Or at 3pm on Radio 4 Extra, you could listen to Cider with Rosie. Laurie Lee's autobiographical 1959 novel about his childhood in Gloucestershire. It concludes on Thursday at the same time. Radio 4 Extra, 3pm. And at five past eight on the BBC World Service, a three-part series entitled The Compass Under the Canopy, which explores the myriad ways that forests operate in our lives and the life of the planet. Prepare to lose yourself in this enchanting soundscape. Thursday, March 4th, The Confessional at 11.30am on Radio 4 is a comedy chat show about shame and guilt hosted by Stephen Mangan. This week, actor David Tennant reveals three stories of embarrassment and shame that he's carried around in secret for years. At 3pm on Radio 4 is Ramblings. Claire Balding accompanies the anthropologist Marianne Okocha in her local stomping ground in Hertfordshire as she tells stories based on the dips, hollows, lumps, bumps and oddly shaped stones they see. And we round off the week, Friday, March 5th, with a drama on Radio 4 Extra at 10am and Gypsy inspired by D.H. Lawrence's 1926 novella The Virgin and the Gypsy. A handsome gypsy is drawn to the rector's daughter when he arrives one summer at her village. On Radio 4 at 11.30, For the Love of Leo, this is the third series of Michael Chaplin's comedy about widower Leo, who still talks to his wife Tamsin when he's alone. He's surprised to meet a woman from his past in this episode, when all he expected was a haircut. At 9pm on Radio 4 comes the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band, Anarchy Must Be Organised, a programme from 2016 which marked the 50th anniversary of the said 
Bonzo Dog Doodah Band's first professional performance, a look back at the unique brand of art, humour and anarchy the London group offered to the public. And the radio highlights come to a close with Margarita Taylor's blend of smooth classics on Classic FM at 10pm. Alternatively, for those that prefer a bit of chat as they wind down, why not tune in to Stephen Nolan at 10pm on Radio 5 Live for news and discussions. As always, may I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening. DNF Soundings